Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. And welcome back to Coast to Coast. Dan Kovalik with us. His book, The Plot to Overthrow Venezuela. We'll take your calls next hour with Dan. Dan, I love this country. Spent nine years in the Navy. I would uh, risk my life for it. Uh, There's no better nation. But I'm beginning to really understand what Eisenhower said when he left office, to be wary of the military-industrial complex. Why do we get involved in all these people's business? No wonder we're hated by half the world. Yeah, well, it's a great question, and I I think there's a few answers uh, to that. I mean, you touch upon a big one, the military-industrial complex, and what do do we mean by that? We mean, uh, you know, in part we mean corporations, uh, huge corporations uh, like uh, Raytheon, Lockheed, uh, McDonnell Douglas that make it Boeing, in fact, that make a lot of money from war. And um, those co- uh, companies have a lot of sway in Congress and with the Defense Department. And um, they profit from a war whether we win the war or we don't. In fact, they make more money if the war just continues forever, That's like in right. Afghanistan. That it looks, you know, we're now in our 19th year. And we're negotiating with the Taliban, whom we threw out. Makes, makes no sense. Well, exactly. And in fact, you know, there's a good chance the Taliban will be back in there. And again, so what was the point? A lot of people will ask. In fact, there was a recent poll where a lot of uh, the majority of military veterans said that these wars don't have a point. But again, for the companies, they do have a point. They make money by selling the armaments and the clothes and whatnot. Uh, and it's a very vicious cycle and one that we need to, to resist. So that's one reason. Another reason is the control of resources like oil like Venezuela's oil, Iran's oil. And, and, and the one thing I want to emphasize with that is the word control, not access. The U.S. doesn't need access to fossil fuels. We are now an, a net exporter. We are the biggest producer of oil right now in the world. Exactly, and natural gas. So we don't need their oil in terms of using it for fuel. What we want, or when I say we... What those in power want is to be able to control the oil supplies, one, so that uh, U.S. companies uh, can be guaranteed to profit from it, right? and also so they can keep oil prices high. And so they're just as happy, for example, in the case of Venezuela and Iran, just to knock them off uh, line and prevent them from producing any oil. Um, They view that as a better alternative uh, than having those countries control their own oil. And so, uh, yeah, so, I mean, it's a very concerning thing. And in the end, who loses? Obviously, those countries lose because uh, they struggle for independence. They're subject to sanctions. You know, in Venezuela, there was a recent report co-authored by Jeffrey Sachs, a very well-respected economist out of Columbia University, who estimated that over 40,000 Venezuelans have died due to U.S. sanctions just between 2017 and 2018, and he expects more to die this year. So, of course, the countries that we're targeting uh, for regime change are suffering, but we're also suffering in this country. Why? Because, again, we're not seeking, or the government uh, or those in charge are not seeking the oil to be because we need to use it, because you and I need to use it, but so that U.S. companies can profit from it. So it doesn't benefit us uh, 
uh, in any respect. Meanwhile, we're sending our soldiers uh, to die and to kill in these wars that, again, really don't benefit, uh, you know, the American people. Tell me about Oliver Stone uh, writing the foreword uh, to your book. He, of course, is a great filmmaker. We're very close with his son, Sean. Uh, but uh, tell me about the Oliver Stone tie-in. Yeah, well, Oliver's been working. Uh, it, people may not realize this, but in addition to the blockbuster movies he's made, like Platoon, for example, um, he, in the recent years, has been focusing a lot on documentaries and he has done a number of documentaries on Cuba, on Venezuela, on South America in general. Uh, he has one called South of the Border, in which he interviews a number of uh, various leaders in South America, including uh, Hugo Chavez at that time. Um, so he actually got interested in my books with the first one, uh, The Plot to Scapegoat Russia. He was doing his Putin interviews around the same time. So he became interested in in that book, and then because of his interest in Latin America and in Venezuela, he was interested in this book and was generous enough to uh, to write the forward for it. I want you to uh, to to answer what could be one criticism of you, and you have the right to answer this. I got an email from one individual, just one, and wanted to know if you really are a patriot and care about America. So I want you to answer that based on the books you wrote. Yes, I mean, I would argue that myself, well, I can only speak for myself. I would argue that, in fact, I'm a, a, a very strong patriot. I mean, first of all, just to give, if I, if I could give a little background, I mean, I grew up in Cincinnati, Ohio. I went to Catholic schools my whole life. I mean, I'm a fairly traditional person mm -hmm. in, in many ways. Was a labor lawyer for the steelworkers for 25 years. So I'm, again, uh, is apple pie as anyone. In my view is that these wars and these interventions, again, are killing us. They are killing the soul of America. Um, we are on a collision course now, not just with these smaller countries like Venezuela, Venezuela and Iran, but possibly with Russia and China. We can't afford to do this. You know, we've now spent six trillion dollars on the wars in in Iraq uh, and Afghanistan alone. Jeez. You know, and that's money that could be used. For health care. Oh, be my God. Protect the grid, because that's one of my big stories. And if we get hit by a solar flare or some a country detonates a nuke in the atmosphere, our power grid's going to be shut down. And, you know, millions of Americans will die. We can insulate that for a couple billion dollars. Exactly. I mean, the trillions we're spending on wars could be do so much to improve the lives of people in this country. And, uh, you know, what folks like myself are saying is we need to be spending that money here and spending it on making this country better and safer. And that, you know, when we spend money abroad in order to line the pockets of these, of these companies that make money from war, that isn't patriotism. In fact, it's quite the opposite. How much of those trillions of dollars uh, would be spread around to individuals if we gave it to Americans? Could you imagine? I don't have a calculator in front of me, but yeah, if you just gave that money, $6 trillion to the, what, $350 million? Yeah, just say everybody gets a piece. 
it yeah. would be, make a huge difference <laughs> in people's lives. You know, there was this study that recently, actually, I think this came out of um, uh, one sector of the U.S. government that estimated that uh, about a majority of people in the U.S. are $400 away from insolvency. You know, a $400 emergency. They can, and they can't do it. They can't yeah. do it. Yeah. No. Who is Elliot Abrams? Well, he is now uh, the man in charge of U.S. policy towards Venezuela. Uh, it's a name from the past. Uh, he also uh, was very prominent in the Reagan administration. He was an important figure in the Iran-Contra scandal, if people remember that. Um, U.S. Congress had cut off aid to the Contras, the Nicaraguan Contras, twice. And so... Uh, and by the way, when I first saw Oliver Stone, I was thinking you had Ollie North doing this. <laughs> and it's funny you bring up the Contras. Sometimes, yeah. right? Ollie North and Oliver Stone. But yeah, so Ollie North and Elliot Abrams were significant figures, John Poindexter, in the Iran-Contra scandal which was a way to, to give money to the countries that were trying to overthrow the Nicaraguan government at a time Congress had cut off funding. So the U.S. was selling weapons to Iran at that time, um, even though Iran was under an, uh, an arms embargo, and using that money to pay uh, for the countries. Well, again, and, and, let, and let me ask you this, too. Do you believe that uh, the incoming administration before the election, that would have been Ronald Reagan, uh, and then we had Jimmy Carter, that they cut a deal with Iran to hold the hostages until after the election? I do believe that. Um, a lot of people do. Yeah. In fact, I, I have another book. I don't want to plug too many books, but I do have a book on Iran called The Plot to Attack Iran, which talks about that. And there's some, there's, you know, people who gave, you know, sworn testimony um, about their role in that, that, yeah, that uh, essentially the U.S. and Israel use their assets from the Shah. People have to remember that until the Iranian Revolution 1979, the U.S. had one of its closest friends in the world in the Shah of Iran. That's right. That it, it had installed in 1953 when it overthrew. But his greed got to him, Dan. It got to him, and the people rose up, and they overthrew him. And uh, at one point, as people remember, after that revolution, when Jimmy Carter welcomed the Shah into the U.S. Uh, for medical treatment for his cancer, uh, some students took over the embassy in Iran, in Tehran, and took uh, people hostage. And there's good evidence that uh, the Reagan campaign worked behind the scenes to, one, derail Carter's attempts to negotiate the uh, release of, of the hostages and to, in fact, have the hostages held um, Sa safely, after, safely until after the election. Until after his inauguration, and they, in fact, were released within minutes of his inauguration in January of 1981. So that's a fascinating story, too. You know, it's known as the October Surprise. There's a book called uh, The October Surprise, written by a journalist, Robert Perry, who recently died. Um, very well worth uh, looking into. Why can't we? I want to talk to you about Iran for a little bit. And you were in Iran back a couple of years ago uh, as well. As you well know, the Iranian people 
love our way of living, the the people it's, it, themselves. They do. They love Americans. I mean, what I was, you know, really taken aback by when I went to Iran is how friendly people were, especially once they learned you were an American. They, they would try to show off their English to you, and many people there speak English. They wanted to get a photograph. Um, people love Americans, and the thing, the thing that people need to understand is that even in a country like Iran, which certainly has had hostile relations with the U.S. for some time, the people themselves generally love Americans, and they distinguish the American people from the American government. That is to say that Iranians understand, well, okay, the U.S. government may be sanctioning us, threatening us, but that doesn't mean the American people hate us or want this to happen. And the Venezuelans are the same, you know. And you, you're always moved by that when you go to countries, um, you know, that are ostensible adversaries of the U.S. And you find the people are very welcoming and, and, and don't hold grudges against this, which I think is, is quite, quite amazing. Probably would be very easy to create peace there. I don't know why we don't do it. Yeah, I mean, I, and that's the thing. And I, I mean, there's a big part of me that believes that for some time the U.S. actually has not wanted peace and stability in the Middle East, again, because a lot of companies are able to prof profit in the midst of that chaos. Um, you know, there's the whole shock doctrine that Naomi Klein has written about. And I do think that peace is possible. In fact, People may forget, if they ever knew, that after 9-11, Iran, which was, was and is a mortal enemy of groups like al-Qaeda and ISIS, offered to help the U.S. in the war against terror, did help in, to fight the Taliban in Afghanistan, did help uh, fight al-Qaeda, and the U.S. government, uh, George, uh, George W. Bush at that time, acknowledged this, but then shortly after declared Iran was part of this, you know, evil, evil access of evil. Yeah. yeah. So it's pretty incredible. I, and, and at that time, Iran sent a note to the U S state department saying that they were willing to negotiate all issues to try to reboot the relationship with the United States. Cause they thought after helping with the war on terror, that the U S would be open to this. And that letter was never responded to. Meanwhile, China is quickly and quietly cutting deals with these nations, and uh, they're going to benefit. Absolutely. And frankly, what China has shown is that you can make deals with these countries without going to war, without bombing. They do it by building roads and building hospitals. Yep. You know, there's something to be learned there, I think. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.